TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is That Paleo Show with your hosts, Stephanie Wozelik, Dr. Yana James, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Stephanie Waslick. I'm Dr. Yana James. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. This week we're talking about carbohydrates and sugars. And this is one aspect of paleo I think would be the most difficult for most people to address. So that's why we're going to go through today kind of what we mean by carbohydrates and sugars, uh, where and how to find them and how to avoid them, and talk about some challenges that you might face along the journey. So Yana's going to start us off today by talking about really what is a carbohydrate. Yeah, so carbohydrates, when we talk about sugars, sugars are part of the carbohydrate family. Um, when we look at any food, you can pretty much break it down into fo- protein, fat, and carbohydrate. Um, and just so you know, not eat, most foods aren't exclusively one or the other. They're usually a combination, and you look at the majority that makes up that food. So for instance, you know your proteins are usually meat, but they're going to have some fat in them. And your carbohydrates are vegetables, fruits, um, sugars. Um, beans as well, which a lot of people tend to think, you know, beans are highly a protein, but they're not. They're actually a lot more carbohydrate than they are protein, but they do have protein in them. So they get taken into that sort of protein category. So when we're talking about carbohydrates, we're talking about sugars. So we're talking about fruit, vegetables, grains, beans, those sorts of things. Um, and so that just to break it down, um, those sorts of things have uh, the ability in our body to be broken down into glucose. For the most part. So that's what we're talking about. Things that make our blood sugar rise for the most part. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the episode. Um, so why why is sugar probably not on the paleo scheme of things? Well, it really comes down to the fact that ancestrally, in terms of if we look back a while, sugar wasn't really that available to us as cavemen. Um, it was definitely seasonal. If we're talking fruit, it was sort of in season for a brief period of time and then it would be gone again. Um, or if we're looking at honey, the, the more natural forms of sugar that, that arrive on our planet, thanks to gorgeous little bees, um, that stuff, again, wasn't very available. And I, I know um, I had someone tell me that uh, the cavemen, the, the tribal communities would often come across honey once a year and they'd each have about a tablespoon's worth. Now in modern days we have pretty much a tablespoon's worth every single day so we're having at least 365 times the amount of sugar that used to happen in our society. And why would you go up to a beehive and have swarming (laughs) bees around you and try and scoop out some sugar? I don't think we'd have gotten the yield out of our uh, our honey Oh, what am I Catching trying to say? Yeah, gathering efforts. Yeah, gathering efforts, exactly, <laughs> that we do now. Yeah. And the other thing that's changed as well is just the actual sweetness of the fruit and the yield of the fruit. So now we're cultivating it um, specifically to be sweeter and specifically to be bigger and more abundant on our fruit trees and things. So we were just talking before the episode about the difference between a crab apple, which is maybe a more native apple versus, you know, your big juicy Granny Smith apple now, which is even a, a bitter fruit, but still so full of sugar. Yeah. So let's have a bit of a chat about, I guess, why sugars are bad for our health, because 
you know, I think it's something that people tend to understand reasonably well now. Like if you say to people, look, is sugar good for you or bad for you? Most people will say, well, obviously too much sugar is bad for you. Um, but I don't think people necessarily understand just how it impacts your body and how much it impacts your body. Right? So obviously, Yana's just spoken about sugar and how it can raise your blood sugar levels and how that affects your insulin response. And I think you know, we, we're starting to understand that now in terms of insulin sensitivity and prediabetes and diabetes about how that can raise the blood sugar level, how your body can't cope with that because it doesn't want too much sugar in the cells because that can be toxic for the cells. Um, and so your body starts to resist that. And, and just the raft of effects that has, and we know that you know, diabetes itself is linked with so many other chronic diseases. But over and above that, we then know that that tends to switch on the stress response in our body. It tends to lead to inflammation in our body. Um, you know, we know that sugars really, when, we, when you're high in sugars in your body, it's going to really feed bugs. It's going to feed tumors. You know, it, it just has a huge raft of effects right throughout your body. I guess you know, the one we're becoming a lot more aware of now is, I guess, the link between sugar and weight gain. You know, it's kind of that 80s thing to think, well, it's fat that makes you fat. And, you know, we're obviously going to talk about that a fair bit on our show perhaps later on. But um, what we're now really seeing is in terms of weight gain, uh, in terms of the obesity epidemic, then, then sugars, you know, processed sugars particularly, high fructose corn syrups, you know, all those that we'll talk about as we get into this episode, um, really have a huge impact on weight gain as well. Um, so... You know, then we can talk about sugars in terms of you know, increased hunger, in terms of cravings that they cause. You know, we know that when they switch on that stress response, it tends to lead us to increase our cravings for fats and sugars, which makes sense because if you're stressed and you're wanting to you know, fight off a lion, then you might want some energy. And so it's going to cause you to consume more food. Um, and you know, the, the kicker, I reckon, is that the poor energy you get from sugar. right? Because we constantly marketed these sugary products as being energy foods or energy drinks or you know, energy cereals. And it's just these high sugar foods. And do you know what? They do give you energy. They give you energy for about half an hour. <laughs> you get this massive spike in sugar and spike in energy. But unfortunately, that's followed by a crash. Um, and unfortunately, if you keep repeating that, then that crash kind of gets deeper and deeper. And you really just do see that fatigue, that burnout, that, I guess, adrenal fatigue of people who've just done that crash and burn cycle way too many times. Mm. Yeah, and I think um, it's it's interesting. Um, Brett said that diabetes is linked with a whole heap of other chronic diseases. And I think another way of looking at it is that um, diabetes is yet another symptom of the same cause of the problem. Yeah. And that's eating the wrong foods, having the wrong yeah. environment for ourselves to live in. So same thing, uh, uh, there's a lot of um, literature at the moment pointing to Alzheimer's being type 3 diabetes, uh, mm. which I think is fascinating. Oh, cool. um, so you know what they're finding is that the brain actually produces insulin, and if you've had um, too much exposure to carbohydrates and sugars, then your brain, like your pancreas in type 2 diabetes, um, loses the ability to produce enough insulin to deal with that sugar. So yeah, it's really interesting that even things like, like Alzheimer's are being linked to sugar overconsumption. Yeah. And I found it really cool. I was reading um, the link between how this works in the womb as well. So when a pregnant mother is ingesting all of this sugar, um, you can you can end up with something called gestational diabetes. And this has actually been linked to a predisposition for obesity and stuff later in life in the child. So as that child grows older, I, I actually read one hypothesis that so these kids start start gaining weight in their, you know, once they reach adulthood, which is exactly when they're starting to conceive again as well. So wow. hence this like exponential increase in obesity, this yeah. epidemic that we're getting generation after generation. 
Yeah, and I think the point uh, Yana made about it being a causal relationship is such an important one, isn't it? Because we so often hear in our society now that it's like, you know, diabetes is causing all these problems or weight gain is causing all these problems. But in actual fact, it is just that. It's a causal relationship. It's like these people have weight gain and diabetes and all these other problems. But it's not the diabetes that's the problem. It's not the weight gain that's the problem. It's actually the lifestyle that's the problem. And that's, I guess, one of the messages we really want to get across on that paleo show is really teaching you how to live a healthy lifestyle, not to treat any specific condition, not to prevent any specific disease, but just to make you healthy. Yeah, and I think um, James Chestnut said it really, really well. We watched our our doctored movie premiere the other day, and uh, James Chestnut said, you know, it's suicide by lifestyle, which I love. I think that's a great way of looking at it. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know, James Chestnut is a wellness expert and chiropractor. He's he's one of our, uh, I guess, our inspirations for all of us on the show. We've listened to some of his stuff, which is really cool. Um, and he's definitely someone we'll, I think, look to get onto the show later on and, and have on as well, because that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, so, I'm going to talk about carbohydrates again. So, when we look at carbohydrates, they can sort of be broken down into three different family families. So, there's fibrous carbohydrates. That includes things like your spinach, your leafy green vegetables, um, you know, cucumbers. All, all of those vegetables are, are fibrous carbohydrates. Humans don't actually break them down into sugars. Um, then you've got your starchy carbohydrates. Now, a lot of people don't look at these as sugars, and it was definitely a mistake I made early on, thinking that I wasn't having sugar, but not realizing that the mountain bread wraps that I was having were still sugar, right? As soon as my body gets a hold of them, it breaks it down into sugar. Now, there's varying degrees. There's certainly some things that take longer for your body to break down into sugars, which is why they're the the slow-acting carbohydrates, the things that you know, tend to keep you fuller for longer, but in the long run, they're still going to give you a blood sugar rise. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And so look, we spoke about some of these obviously in last week's episode, didn't we? We spoke about the grains and we spoke about all of the, you know, the gluten-free products and the, you know, the grain-free products and how, you know, a lot of these things we think, well, we're doing the right things. We're taking the gluten out, but you know, a lot of the time they're really still just packed with sugar and carbohydrates, aren't they? Yeah, they absolutely are. So we're talking about things like potatoes, sweet potatoes, parsnip, carrots, those underground vegetables. Yeah, that's pretty much what I was going to say. Is anything that grows underground generally is a starchy carbohydrate. So if you're looking at it going, well, does it grow above the ground or below the ground? If it blows, grows below the ground, then it's a root. And usually the root's there to provide energy for the plant to grow its greenery up the top. So um, that's your starchy carbohydrates. Um, then we have the ones that are really obvious, your sugars. So there's your processed, highly refined table sugars. And then there's also the ones that are more natural, like your honey and your maple syrup, things that are, are very unprocessed in, in their nature. Um, they definitely all give you a bigger spike in blood sugar. Um, and also, we're looking at fruit, right? So fruit is, well, would you say it's a starchy carbohydrate or a, a pure carbohydrate, a pure sugar, sorry? Oh, it's a, it's, I think of it more of the simple sugar, I think. Yeah, right. it's, it's more of the, I guess the fructose is more of the, just the sugar really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, it's a good, you've just reminded me by saying fructose, anything that ends in O-S-E is a sugar, right? So if you're picking up an ingredients list and seeing O-S-E, then that means there's a sugar in it in some way. And if it's something you can't understand or pronounce, then it's probably a pretty processed sugar like dextrose and maltose and 
those sorts of things. Um, and in fact, you know, we're going to do an episode about dairy later on, but dairy is predominantly or has a high proportion of lactose in it, which is also a sugar and gets broken down in the body. So you're going to see that you get sugar spikes with uh, dairy as well, which is really interesting. So just to clarify here, we're, we are making a difference between fruit and table sugar. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> fruit does have the fiber in it. It has all sorts of other nutrients in it. It's delicious. Um, and it is, you know, when it comes off a tree, it, it is natural. Yeah. So I think that that's kind of a good point. We need to go through, I guess, what we think about each of these types of sugars, I guess. And, and I think it's probably pretty clear for all of us that we think those fibrous carbohydrates are pretty damn awesome. Right? Yeah. So, so they're, your, they're your real, you know, your vegetables, your leafy greens, you know, just that stuff that's just hugely nutrient dense. Um, and it's definitely not going to be causing the same sort of spikes to your blood sugar that you're going to see from like your table sugar. In fact, you know, really minimal spikes to your blood sugar from those fibrous carbohydrates. Yep. So we're, we're definitely all massive fans of those. Um, and then when it comes into the starchy carbohydrates, I guess we, we've all got a little bit of a different take on that. So perhaps you, you'll start, Yana, by telling us about your take on those. Yeah, so um, I mentioned before that I have PCOS, and I think it's probably a relevant one, um, maybe not for the people that have been doing paleo, but for newbies, because one in four women actually has this hormonal derangement, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's gone up. And, I, you know, my take on it is that we've been in the wrong environment, so we've all developed this, this hormonal imbalance because our foods actually have an, a hormonal impact on us. Um, so for me, for my body, the best way for me to work out what I could tolerate with those starchy carbohydrates was actually to get a blood sugar monitor. Um, and so I started recording what I was eating and checking my blood sugar every half hour for two hours after eating. And that gave me a really clear indication on what foods I personally could tolerate and what ones I should probably avoid if I wanted to keep my blood sugar steady and low. And by keeping my, well not low, uh, in the normal range. Um, and so by keeping my blood sugar in the normal range it meant that I was not hungry because a lot of the time hunger is related to a drop in blood sugar and especially if you're doing that carb roller coaster when you have a peak you have a trough and it's during that down phase when your blood sugar is dropping rapidly that your body actually gives you the messages to go and eat more and if it's dropping really rapidly because it's spiked really high and your body hasn't managed to um, bring it down with enough insulin, you're going to pump out heaps more insulin, which means you drop even faster. And when it drops really rapidly, your body goes into, oh my God, eat something and eat something now and preferably make it really sugary so that I can bring my blood sugar up really, really quickly. Right? So you get those massive sugar cravings. I think you're going to interrupt yeah, uh, me there. Well, right? I just think it's a really important distinction you made there about the um, the normal range. And, mm. you know, so, so often people get so confused between common and normal, right? Yeah. And so what's common is for people to have quite a high and quite a fluctuating blood sugar level. And so we just want to be clear that when you're talking about the normal range, that's perhaps not what people are traditionally thinking of as the normal range, yeah. but, but actually what's normal for us from a paleolithic, from a hunter-gatherer perspective, that that's actually what would have been completely normal. Yeah, and so if anyone does get a blood sugar monitor, um, in Australia the values that you want to be around is 4.5 to 5. That's a, a good blood sugar reading, and below that is okay as well, probably as low as about 3. You wouldn't really want to be much lower than 3. Um, I think the US... Uh, blood sugar monitors, I know that they've got different number values, so they're 83 to 100 is, is uh, the, the ballpark that you'd be aiming for there. Um, so, you know, an interesting story here is um, when my husband and I were both testing our blood sugar, and my husband's uh, a slender person, he's not athletic, he doesn't do a lot of running around, but he, he is, uh, you know, naturally lean. 
Um, and so we did a little experiment. We did quite a few experiments along the way, but one that was the biggest eye-opener for me and, and really showing me how different my body was um, to his was we both... Uh, that damn pizza again what is with that so we got pizza obviously you've probably picked up now that that's uh, one of the things that I used to absolutely love so we got a pizza we both ate exactly the same amount um, and we weighed the same amount at this point in time which is interesting we were both the same size uh, on the scales he's taller than I am um, and so we ate the same amount and measured our blood sugar over the, the next two hours and in the first half hour neither of ours really changed very much and then after that, mine went up to, I think we both started, Luke started at 5.6 and I started at 5.3. So he was slightly higher than I was to begin with. And then by the end, at the peak, the, the point where we were both at our highest, which was about an hour in, Luke got up to 6.2 and I got up to 9.8, which is massive. Like that's a huge number to be holding there. Um, having said that, I had a, a mate who was type 1 diabetic and he used to occasionally, if he had pizza or pasta, his numbers would get up to like 16 point something, which is pretty insane. Um, so anyway, that was that was a really good um, uh, point for me to, to realize. And with that as well, I, I worked out my limitations on fruit. So I have quite a different take on fruit um, for me personally. I, I don't tend to eat a lot of it because I would rather have vegetables and not have the blood sugar spike with my with my um, in my hormonal management of those sugars. So um, I think I've covered most of what I wanted to talk about there. Yeah. So I guess you know for me the story is probably a little bit different in that you know I'm not someone and people are probably going to hate me for saying this. I'm not someone who's ever had issues with my weight. Um, you know I was someone who used to eat a pretty poor diet and, and still didn't put on weight. I probably wasn't healthy, but I certainly still didn't put on weight. Um, I've also always been someone who's pretty physically active. So, you know, for me at the moment, I'm doing, you know, six days a week of exercise and even on that seventh day being pretty active with the family and the kids and that sort of stuff. And and, and often for me, that'll entail, you know, longer forms of exercise too. So that might, might mean I might be in the field at cricket, running around in the outfield for, you know, five or six hour stretches. Um, and so for me, I have a bit of a, a different uh, approach, I guess. It's still very much a paleo food approach. It's not like I'm guzzling sugar or drinking Gatorade or anything like that. Um, but I guess I am definitely more flexible with the fruits, um, probably more flexible even with the, some of the sugars we'll speak about, like the honey and those sort of things. Um, and even with some of the root vegetables, I probably eat maybe more potatoes than Yana does as well. Um, but, but I find that that does work with me, you know. I'm, I'm not someone who tends to measure things. I don't measure food quantities. I don't really measure my weight. Um, you know, I, I don't measure my blood sugar levels. I'm, I've always just been someone who's just sort of got the philosophy of it and gone, well, I'm just going to eat in that broad range of foods and, and that seems to be working for me. So, um, you know, I don't know what effect that's had, I guess, on my blood sugar levels, which would be really interesting to check sometime because um, obviously it's not just all about weight and athletic performance and how you feel, but also how your body's functioning on the inside too. Uh, but, but like I said, I guess for me, I've got a slightly different approach still within that paleo diet, um, but, which involves a few more of those carbs perhaps, but probably also involves perhaps burning off a few more of those carbs too, uh, but still very much within the paleo diet sphere. And a lot of things that we're talking about, probably the, the phrase everything in moderation doesn't work for, like I don't believe that gluten in moderation is good for you, for example, or soy, and we'll get into all of those things later. But I do think sugar in moderation is 
sugar, not table sugar. I'm t we're talking about Actually fruit, sugar, fruit and, yeah. and tubers and this kind of what I'm talking about. I think those in moderation are fine. You know what? When I get to the grocery store and I'm uninspired and I just really want some sweet potato, that's what I get, but it's, it's rare. And so that, that kind of thing in moderation, and that is what they'd, they would have found in the wild back when as well. Yeah, and I, that's a really good point, isn't it? That these are often things that weren't around all the time. You know, if they were around, they were often just seasonal. You know, they're for a little bit of time, not the whole time. And, and, and having said what I've just said about the, the sugars, I've certainly found over the last, you know, probably six months of just refining that and, and making those more moderation and less common. And I think I've gotten some, some good results and even further improvement doing that as well. Yeah, and I think um, probably what, what we're all saying really is that paleo is a framework. Like, there isn't a single... Um, th there's not a single way of doing paleo because th there's different areas that humans have lived over our development, over our evolution, right? So it's a way, it's sort of like some glasses that you can look at the world through and think, you know, was this available? Would it have been something we would have come across every day? If the answer is no, then you probably don't want to be having it every day. So it's, it's not a hard and fast rule. It's a framework to work around. And I think it's really important to work out what works for you. Yeah, and I know, um, you know, if you want some more information on this, that Rob Wolf just recently wrote a three-part series all about low-carb paleo, which I found just fascinating. I think you guys both read that as well, didn't you? Yeah. And, and that was just really cool and really worth a read, particularly for people who are a bit, I guess, more on the sporty, athletic, um, you know, higher calorie-burning side of things. Um, it was a really cool and fascinating read to just look into some of those topics too. Yeah, so now that we've kind of talked about defining the sugars and things let's talk about what happens when you try and for lack of a better word detox from these things so let's assume you've been eating the standard diet processed foods lots of you know sugar in your coffee and cereal tea, cereal oh gosh don't <laughs> even get me started Sandwiches. yeah <laughs> so so let's maybe talk about the addictive properties of sugar because i don't know if brett's experienced it but i know both yana and i have the, the sugar detox is brutal. I had headaches, I think, were my major symptom, plus obviously cravings. So it is a process, and your body does need time to adapt to it. Yeah, and look, I, I think I didn't have those, I guess, those more real detox elements to it in terms of the headaches and those sort of things. But, but I certainly noticed the change in terms of, like, energy and moods and... Um, you know, and just craving is probably the biggest one is, is when you try and cut that out, the, the cravings and the, the kind of tricks your mind plays on you to try and get you to consume those sugars again, um, they can really play with your mind, definitely. And it's interesting, so we've heard all sorts of different theories about, yeah, you should have a cheat day here and there, and I'm not going to say if that's good or bad, but I know when I find I cheat and I'm doing air quotes because <laughs> you shouldn't guilt yourself into this stuff. But when you know, when you kind of do have some more sugars, you do set yourself up for those cravings again. So let's say you've gone two weeks and you're going, Oh, I did awesome. I didn't have any sugars. My cravings have started to decrease. And then you have those again. It's, it's almost like you start again from scratch. And that is a really, really tough way of doing it. So as difficult as it is, I would say in a perfect world, the ideal is to kind of cut those out um, more cold turkey style. Mm. Yeah, because it, it does just tend to make it hard on yourself, doesn't it? I know if I've had a day where, you know, even if it's not even necessarily like the sugars, but if it's just more of the starchy carbohydrates and stuff than I would like to have, that, you know, the next day it's like you're tired, you're grumpy, you've got those cravings kicking in and it does just become so much harder to make the right choice. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, that the addictive quality of it is really interesting. There's some studies that show that uh, sugar is more addictive than cocaine for mice. And, you know, obviously we're not mice, but um, there's that the, the possibility that it is that bad for us. And so when you're trying to get off it, you know, you wouldn't say to a cocaine addict or a heroin addict, you know, you've done two weeks, awesome job, here you go, shoot up. You know, you're not going to do that. So I, I really think once you quit it, you're much better off just not going there again if you can it's difficult in society with it everywhere around you but um you're, you're better off you'll have a much easier time of it if you try to do that yeah it, uh, that's classic actually because that's taking me back to when i used to be in my grandpa's shed and he lived out in the country and he would actually put out sugar mixed with plaster of paris with a bowl of water next to it and that was how he got rid of the mice in his shed because they would just eat it. And I always remember thinking, why would they eat plaster of Paris? Like, clearly <laughs> they're seeing all the other mice eating it and killing over and dying. But they would. they just all eat it and, like, solidify. This sounds terrible. Sorry. I'm, I'm not advocating this. I'm just saying this is what my grandpa did. And, and that was how he actually got rid of the mice in his shed. So, yeah, that's sorry, I'm a, I'm a bit traumatized over here. <laughs> I think I'm supposed to move on to the next topic, but I'm just... I. I have a bad gag reflex. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think one thing we should definitely talk about right now is artificial sweeteners because there's probably heaps of people out there thinking, well, maybe I should just swap from the Coke to the Diet Coke or, you know, or just Ooh. start having some artificial sweeteners. And, and there's a number of points you want to make about that. Like, first of all, um, they're not helping you lose weight. Like, there's been quite a number of studies now showing that the people who are swapping to these artificial sweeteners aren't losing weight and sometimes they're actually putting on more weight when they're having these artificial sweeteners. Yeah. And we did mention that in one of the previous episodes, seven, but we'll just reiterate it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. God. Possibly yeah. anywhere between 50 and 700% increase in weight gain from uh, switching to artificial sweeteners. It's insane, <laughs> isn't it? So, so do guess, yourself a favor, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, so, so what it seems to be is happening essentially is that you're tricking your body into expecting sugars. So your body's getting ready to process all those sugars. It's, it's preparing to you know, utilize all those sugars. And in the process, it's essentially stripping your body of all of the sugars or utilizing all the sugars in your body and, and leaving you craving even more sugar. So it's, it's not the Diet Coke that's putting on the weight, but it's the what you eat after that that then causes the problems. And as well as that, we know that these artificial sweeteners have effects on your brain, on your neurological function. You know, they're actually a, a brain... A, a toxic effect on your brain and your nervous system. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that doesn't sound great to me. Mm. And they're artificial. So if you remember the first episode, we just said just eat, or maybe the second episode, just eat real food. I mean, these are artificial foods. In, in most cases, they're absolutely man-made. And so I guess, you know, if we want to start talking then about, you know, how to replace sugars and, and some strategies for getting around this. And, you know, I've certainly found, as I said, at the moment, I've been decreasing my my sugar, particularly my carbohydrate intake a little bit at the moment. Um, and I've found the easiest way for me to do that is not to think about decreasing the sugar, but to actually in think about increasing the fats and the proteins. And so it's almost like a bit of a preemptive strike approach. Yeah. Like I'm making sure that I'm constantly sort of full and eating plenty of the fats and the, and the proteins, you know, still having some carbs with that, but, you know, getting that balance right. Um, and I'm finding that as long as I can do that and I can keep myself feeling really full and, and happy and satiated, then I'm not getting those cravings. It's making those choices so much easier. You know, when I go to the shops or I go to get some petrol, I'm walking in there, I'm feeling good, I'm feeling full, I'm not tired, I'm not craving. So it's just so much easier to make the right choice. One thing Brett said to me a few weeks ago that just really resonated was just 
you shouldn't rely on your willpower. Your willpower is the last resort, and it usually fails. <laughs> Mine's so, terrible. Exactly. So we're talking about strategies here to implement before you need to use your willpower. It's not about like, okay, I'm driving past the gas station. Should I go in? Should I not? It's about not even feeling like you have to do that because you're not hungry. You're not having those cravings. Yeah, and so, you know, the other things that I guess fit into that same picture is, you know, things like eating before you go shopping, right? Making sure that you're feeling full before you head to the supermarket because I don't know about you guys, but I find that if it doesn't get into my pantry, it's so much less likely to get eaten. Like, I think I'm essentially pretty lazy. And so if I'm lying on the couch in the evening watching some TV and I think, gee, I'm feeling a bit hungry. If it's not in my pantry, the chances of me getting into the car and driving down to the shops, particularly because I kind of live in the hills in part of the country, <laughs> you know, the chances of me driving down to the shops to get something are pretty slim. So, you know, I make sure that we sort of control what goes into the pantry. Try not to buy those things that I know are going to trigger that off or... Even if my wife buys them, I get, I've get i got her a little tin and she hides them in the back of the cupboard so I don't have to see them, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, and, and I do the same in the practice. Like in our practice, we really only have, you know, we have nuts and seeds, we have some fruit there, uh, but we don't have sugars, we don't have the processed carbohydrates there just to make those choices, you know, to make it easy on ourselves basically because I think that's what it's all about. Like we said, it's not relying on the willpower, it's about just making it easy on yourself to make the right decision. And one really cool thing is that this is all a vicious cycle. So you find... Once you've kind of cut back the sugars, you have more energy, you sleep better, mm. you don't, you know, you don't find yourself exhausted at the end of the day, so you don't tend to lie in front of the TV doing nothing. So then you don't get bored. So then you're not sitting there watching TV going, oh, I really wish I had something to eat. And what do you eat after dinner? You eat sugary snacks. So it's this interesting cycle that happens. So these small changes can actually improve your entire life. Yeah, and plus, when you find when you've got that extra energy, then you feel like doing a bit more exercise as well. And you know, we know that has an effect on the insulin sensitivity too, which we mentioned last time. And I guess the other thing that happens over time as you're doing that is your tastes start to change too. Like, you know, I will nowadays, I'll go in somewhere and I'll be like craving an avocado or craving some broccolini or like weird stuff that I would never have craved before. Yeah, and so I just wanted to add in here as well, we were talking about artificial sweetness before. We've definitely gotten asked about natural sweeteners like stevia and agave. Well, agave is out. Sorry, guys. It's it's really not good for you. It's majority fructose, and fructose is... If you watch anything by Robert Lustig, he thinks that's probably the worst thing out of all of it. And I don't, I don't know that I would put it as the worst thing. I definitely think it's one of the bad things. Fructose actually has to go to your liver to be broken down. Um, so it doesn't spike your blood sugar, which is why it gets a lot of things get touted as being good and good for maintaining good blood sugar. But when things go to your liver to be broken down first, that actually makes them a toxin by definition, which I think is kind of interesting. But apart from that, um, fructose causes fatty liver too. So we don't want to be doing that. We don't want to have agave for that. Um, and the other thing with stevia, no, stevia doesn't go to your liver. It doesn't, it's not a lot of fructose. But what it does do and what I found it did for me was that it made me still crave sweet stuff. Um, so it's just... I think you're doing yourself a disservice by making you have to outlast your willpower for even longer. And as we said, willpower doesn't really work. So um, I would be avoiding those things um, if I was in anyone's shoes of trying to give that stuff up. I'd, I'd definitely, again, like we said, go cold turkey. And a cool thing happens once you limit your sugar as well is that everything starts to taste more sweet. Yeah. Yana the other day told me that her cucumber tasted sweet. <laughs> so yeah. let's just reframe yourself here and realize that you're not giving up sweet foods. You're just redefining what a sweet food is. Yeah. So um, I'm just going to quickly close off here with 
a few points. So we know that you're going to face sugar cravings and we know that you're going to be faced with situations where you do have, have to make choices. And it's really important to just own it and commit to it. And you have to decide if this is something that you want to do, you have to decide why you're doing it. It has to be a, a reason that you're happy with, not for, not for anyone else and just really own it. And then if you are facing sugar cravings, there are a few things you can do. I know that Typically cravings tend to last about 20 minutes. So if you can distract yourself for 20 minutes, that's all it takes, like go have a shower, go you know, vacuum, go you know, do something fun, paint a picture, 20 minutes should be, should be pretty good after that. Drink lots of water, and we're gonna try and avoid the caffeinated beverages as well, which often associate with sugar, but they also kind of make you crave those more. And exercise. I know it's difficult when you're sitting on the couch at the end of the night really craving some sugar, but if you just get up and go for a short walk, even just around your house, that can, that can help as well. Yeah, and exercise, you know, that's what I was going to talk about before is um, exercise reduces, it doesn't just reduce your um, insulin uh, 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 resistance, sorry, I was trying to say insulin sensitivity, but that was wrong, doesn't reduce your insulin resistance alone, it also decreases your stress. And as we said earlier, stress is one of the things that makes you crave more sugars. So it's a, it's a great one to do. Awesome. So that's all the time we have for today. I think we maybe went a little bit over, but it was a really important topic. We wanted to make sure you got as much information as you can. And don't forget that we will be doing more in-depth episodes about all of these topics. We're going to be talking about addictions and artificial sweeteners and all of these things later on. Um, we're not going anywhere, but just in this first 12-part series, we're trying to give you the basics. So until next week, check us out on Facebook share your story, and help to grow the Paleo Tribe worldwide. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Hi, Dr. Brett Hill from The Wellness Guys here. The response after our first summit in the Gold Coast has just been simply amazing and it became really quickly really obvious to us that the wellness community wants more. So get ready because our next wellness summit is coming to Melbourne and we'd love you to come. The Wellness Guys will be there plus the effervescent up for a chat girl Cindy O'Meara, Kim Morrison and Karen Smith and some super special guests. It's going to be 10 hours of powerhouse wellness that you just don't want to miss. Go to www.thewellnesssummit.com. We can't wait to see you there.